that the strength that's given to you and the joy that's given to you is to be able to fight and confront that and to win. You are designed to win. That's why in the beginning, God, everything was part of a design and your design was put together by an eternal mind to win. Everything he did within us was so that we would overcome and win. Amen? So let's get into this. Father, we bless you. We thank you that your word and your teaching today penetrate and permeate into every person that is listening. Be glorified, Lord. Be glorified on this day. In Jesus' name. Genesis and the Gospel of John are both books of the Bible. Um, I wrote some stuff, and I want to I wanna make sure I get all of this out, so you're going to hear me look at this, my notes. You know, sometimes I veer off because it's in me, right, so I kind of toss it out, but I want to make sure I get every point. They come from different sections and serve distinct purposes within the Bible narrative. While Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament and focuses on the creation of the world slash universe and the origins of humanity. The Gospel of John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament and centers on the life, the ministry, death, and resurrection. Resurrection has to come right after death. Resurrection has to come right after death. In other words, don't ever just talk about the death of Christ. Don't just focus on his crucifixion without the resurrection. Don't ever tell the story of his death. This is, this is a pointer for you guys. Don't ever tell the story of his death without his resurrection. Because his death and resurrection happened back to back on purpose. It wasn't death months, years later than resurrection. It is death and resurrection because it's one story. That we got to make sure we keep merged together. Despite these differences in context and genre, there are some similarities and differences in content and themes and theological perspectives between the two texts. And we're going to touch on that. So if we look at number one, let's go to number one. Number one, creation. We talked about that. Creation, both Genesis and the Gospel of John, address the theme of creation. Genesis opens with the account of God creating the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Similarly, the Gospel of John begins with the proclamation that Jesus, the Word of God, the voice of God, was present at the creation and played a role in bringing all things into being. If we were to take on one of the letters, we'll find out that even in the letters, there's a, a clear indication of who Jesus is. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. So we, we see a parallel. You'll find me today going from the Old Testament, the gospel in the New Testament. The gospel in the New Testament, by the way, the gospel in the New Testament is still Old Testament. The gospel in the New Testament is still Old Testament. Why? 
We call it New Testament because Jesus is born. But the New Testament did not start till Jesus dies on the cross. So all throughout the life of Jesus, all throughout his life, he's in the Old Testament. That's why his language didn't change yet. That's why you do something wrong, he would say what would happen. That's why he said it would be better for you to gouge your eye out than to look at something that's bad. He made that clear because he wanted to make sure that everyone understood his death was the salvation of humanity. So he had to show how gloomy or how bad it is without that salvation. You'll notice him talking a different way. So I just wanted to make that clear. And then we're also going to include some of the uh, letters of Paul or some of the, not just the Pauline letters, but all the letters that are in the New Testament. Now that is New Testament. New Testament is after. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have a portion of the New Testament, but are majority Old Testament. Let me say it again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have a portion of the New Testament, but the majority is Old Testament. Why? Because Jesus had not died yet until the tail end of every one of the Gospels. That's when it's considered the New Testament. Remember what Jesus said when he was at the table with his disciples. He said, this is my blood, talking about the wine, that I shed for you. It is a new covenant. New covenant is New Testament. So once there was a shedding of blood, that's when the New Testament began. Everybody with me? All right. So let's, this is Colossians 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has preserved or reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. Now, I want to just go right to, and, and maybe I should just do it that way. That way, I know the introduction is really, really beautiful, but I want to go right to the actual part that I want you guys to pay attention to. So in Colossians, you're going to find something that's really, really interesting. Let's go to verse 15. It says here, is that our way to heaven? <laughs> I'm just trying to figure it out because, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. You should have seen it. She was looking like this. All right, so watch this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Christ, not Jesus of Nazareth, Christ, the Messiah, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. 
and is supreme over all creation. That's a statement right there. He existed before anything was created. That means angels. That means the four living beings. That means the 24 elders. That means all of that we, that we know in the word that speaks of heavenly entities. Jesus, the Christ, was there before all of these things were created. And he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Remember what, it, what John said? In the beginning was what? The word and the word was with God. And the word was God. So there's a, a, a demonstration there that has to do with Jesus being God, but also being with God. So that separation is important. Father, son, but the same one. We need to know that because of how he functions in time and out of time. So when God wants to deal with humanity in time, he then becomes his son. Let me say that again. You got to catch this. When God wants to deal with humanity within time, chronos, he becomes his son. When he deals with humanity or the heavens or the universe, he deals with himself as God overall being one. And the Jewish people in Isaiah 43.10, let's go there and then we're going to come back to this again. Let's go there. Isaiah 43.10. We find that there's a statement made, and in that statement, it speaks of God being one. And see, when you get stuck in just him being one, you don't understand his chronos effect. That's why they did not accept Jesus as God, because of what I'm going to read right now. But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. Isn't that pretty clear? So if you're so linear thinking, you read this, and you make it the, your religion for life. Look, and he emphasizes there is no other God. There has never been and there never will be. Yes, I am the Lord and there is no other Savior. So if we take this literally within Kronos, we will miss out on Jesus because Jesus is also called our Savior. So anybody who reads this, this is why you have Jehovah Witnesses who have not allowed the Spirit of God to turn their water to wine, so they're walking around with a lot of water, and they go around telling people, Jesus is not God. Jesus can't be God. Because if he's God, then we would be violating this. But then if that's the case, then we, we got to pay attention to the throne room God and the God who walks the earth with humans. God could not leave his throne. And because he could not leave his throne, his game plan was to split himself. If the universe ever caught wind of God leaving his throne, 
the universe would go crazy. But God said, I'm going to stay right here on my throne in Kronos and Kairos, but I'm going to be there at the same time because they need me. I need to make sure that they know in the humanity that they're in that I'm willing to duplicate or triplicate my person and that way I can be there and be here and allow my spirit to allow us to coexist. Y'all didn't get that. that. That's a little, that, that was too profound. That was too profound. So, 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 so I got to be here and I'll also be there. But in order for this transaction to take place, Jesus and the father, the father and Jesus acknowledging each other, I must allow my spirit to allow us to coexist. My spirit is the reason why I can live here and he can live there. That's why Jesus in the Old Testament, in the old before he dies, he says, do not, you can offend me, you can offend my father, but do not come against the Holy Spirit. It is the unforgivable sin, not just on earth, but in heaven. Because if you offend him, then our lifeline of father and son is also offended. We live and coexist because of the spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, we all know we've all offended the Holy Spirit. Everybody say amen. amen. If you didn't say amen, you just offended him right now. We've all offended the Holy Spirit. That means that if we've offended the Holy Spirit, according to what Jesus said, Old Testament, right? That means none of us will qualify. Let me, let me explain that. You may think you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit, but there are moments where you don't realize that by supporting something else to support you, you have told the Holy Spirit you're not enough. Let me go deeper. By allowing a substance to become greater than the Spirit of God to satisfy you, to get you to a better place, to make you feel better, you've told the Holy Spirit you're not enough. And when you tell the Holy Spirit you're not enough, it is blaspheming. Thank God Jesus died on the cross. Because even that statement still allows us a qualification to heaven by way of Jesus. Y'all didn't get me. It is because of that dying on the cross that we can make a mistake of that nature and God say, okay, I'm going to allow now my spirit to reside in you and to construct you from the inside out. How do you know when somebody's walking in the spirit? When they stop living the same way. You don't have to get, give people a list of rules. That was the Old Testament. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. That was Old Testament. Now, you show up, you teach relationship with God. Holy Spirit resides in you. And I promise you, every bad thing you've done since you've had a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you knew you were doing a bad thing. 
We ain't got nobody saying nothing. That's cool. Amen. Y'all just, y'all just keep on eating. Because the truth is, there are things that you've done and you know right before you do it, it ain't right. And you're saying to yourself, you know, I don't know. God is already dealing with you. The Holy Spirit is already dealing with you. At that moment when you're feeling like, it's, maybe I should do this, that was him talking to you. That moment when you're like, hmm, maybe, maybe I, nobody's watching. And all of a sudden you feel like eyes are watching. Somebody, you feel the eyes on you. Because the Holy Spirit is watching you from the inside out, not the outside in. See, the devil can see you from the outside in. So he doesn't know what's really going, going on inside. So he only goes by what you do externally. But the Spirit of God, especially when you become a believer, he sees you from the inside out. He knows who you are and how you are. He knows what you're really receptive to and what you're not receptive to. Amen. I wanted this to be seen so that everyone can understand that the, the parallels between the Old Testament, the Gospel, and the New Testament. That's how I'm going to call it from now on, guys, so you can understand the difference. It's the Old Testament, the Gospel, those are the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the New Testament. Amen? All right. Number two. It's a lot. Hopefully I get through all of this. Light and darkness. Both Genesis and John use the imagery of light and darkness as symbolic elements. In Genesis, God separates light from darkness on the first day of creation. While in John, Jesus is described as the light of the world who brings illumination and truth, contrasting with the darkness of sin and ignorance. Understand something. There's a difference between the light we see and the light we live. The light we see, we experience it through our eyeballs. But the light we live, even a blind person can experience it. That even when Jesus was walking, the blind people knew the light was coming without seeing the light. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They're blind. But they saw the light. That's the light that, that was separated in Genesis chapter 1. What light? The light of evil, or rather the light, the light that contracts or contradicts evil and the darkness that tries to come against the light. The separation between night and day on day one was the separation between good and evil. God had to distinguish it on day one. He had to make sure light was in its place and darkness was in its place. And so we call it day one because it was an event. It was a new page, not because it was the first original day that we know as a day. It wasn't a full 24-hour day. We know that because later on is when we, we confront on, on day number four a full 24-hour day. On day four. Full 24 hours. Prior to that, it wasn't 24 hours. 
So day one is not necessarily a day as we call it, but it's a changing, it's, it's a beginning of a chapter. And it was the only way to distinguish it. Moses didn't have any other way to do it. He did not know how to, how to say anything else other than a day. Look, if you get this, you may not get this right now, but if you look at it later on, you'll see what I'm talking about. If you get this part here, you'll understand why Genesis and John had to be combined. And then you're going to be able to incorporate it into your house. Because now the standard of your house will be based on light and darkness. Now it won't be this gray area in between. You're going to know what's right and you're going to know what's wrong. And when you do wrong, you're going to know you did wrong. And when you do right, you're going to know you did right. Listen, one of the byproducts of lightning hitting is hearing what? The other day, <laughs> my poor dog had to deal with lightning and, and thunder and he didn't know what to do with himself. And you saw the light, right? You see, and this one was right one, it was right after. It was almost like it hit our backyard. But the light hit first, right? The, the light was first. And then the sound. It said boom. Why? Because everything that has a moment of action has a transaction that comes after the action. That means that you may think that cursing is okay, but cursing is a byproduct of something going on inside of you. No amens on that. That's fine. When you are angry and you say, man, F you, that was born of somewhere. It didn't just come out. You don't say that to just anyone all day long. You can't say, that's just a word. No, because you don't go around saying, hey, F you. Hey, F you. F you. F you. You don't do that. So you can't say that's a part of how you speak. No. It surfaces when lightning hits. And there's a sound of thunder. Does that make sense? For people who try to excuse cursing. I listen. There's people that try to tell me, like the other day, you know, I, I mentioned a, a word that's alternate of the word that you know, and the person tried to tell me, "You're trying to say bleep bleep. Just say it. You thought about it. Say it." I says because I thought about it that I don't say it because the power of containing is a demonstration of what God is doing inside of me. What do you think cursing is? It is an expression of let there be. So when you say let there be, you're hoping that that turns into that in that moment. You may regret it later on. Maybe you didn't really mean it. But at that moment, you're angry at a certain place. You want that thing to happen at that moment. So you want to be as God created in his image and likeness. You want to say let there be to that person. And then later on, you'll come back and be like, sweetheart, I didn't really mean to say that. I'm so sorry. That's not what I meant. You allowed the anger to be part of your creation process in that moment. So anger was, mm, anger became one of your counselors in the moment that was, that, mo that moment when you had to say something opposite of, 
you went with anger's consultation. Anger told you, say this, and you said, okay, I'm going to say it. Amen, amen. Application, application. I'm, I'm not going to teach without application. Number three. Number three. This is another similarity with John and Genesis. Covenantal language. Covenantal language. The power of covenant. Be a man and a woman of your word. And the more you are a man and a woman of your word, the more you are a part of the covenant language in the word. The results of your covenant are seen not because God is saying, you know, I just want to bless you when you are moving in covenantal language. No, it's that he created a universe that responds to covenantal language. Let me say it again. God is not involved in every little detail. Like, he's not going to always be like, oh, okay, you, you're doing it this way, you're speaking, okay. He already created a system that responds to covenantal language. Let me take a step further. There's already a system established. Mm, what can I use for you guys? Oh, what we've always used. A seed. The seed in your hand going into the dirt already has a universal result. It doesn't require God's doing, you know, you don't need a, uh, a, a, a what do you call that, fairy dust on it. Kind of like, like Peter Pan, right? Those of you who've seen Peter Pan, Tinkerbells will make him fly. Well, y'all got to know the story. Don't look at me like that. He couldn't fly without, without the, the fairy dust. God is not putting that dust on every seed because the seed already knows what it needs to do. It's already instructional. Does that make sense? So when you move in covenantal language, the universe responds to you because you are a person of covenant. And your covenant will allow there to be results. Why do you think? Oh, I'm going to get to one that's going to blow your mind. Why do you think that when, when Hannah was, you know, she couldn't get pregnant. Hannah went and she started speaking to God. You know, before Samuel was born, right? Because Samuel was a miracle of a covenant. A covenantal language allowed Hannah to, be, to give birth to Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1, for anybody. Why? Because when you learn covenantal language, you see God's hand moving it because there's exchange. Covenant is exchange. What are you willing to give up before obtaining what you want to obtain? What are you willing to, don't go, Lord, please give me this and give me that, and you're not willing to do anything in covenant. There has to be, an, the universe responds to covenantal exchange. We're clear on that? Both Genesis and John employ covenantal language. In Genesis, God establishes a covenant with Noah after the flood and with Abraham, promising to bless him and his descendants. In the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks of a new covenant and describes himself as the fulfillment of God's promises to the people of Israel. You'll never read Genesis and John the same again after, after what I'm about to show you. 
You remember when, I guess this would be a good time to introduce this. You remember when John chapter 4, when Jesus meets with the woman by the well? That encounter with the woman by the well, do you think it was just something he just came out of nowhere just to be benevolent to meet with her? Do you think it was just, eh, you know what, guys, let's just walk and we'll meet. Let me tell you what Jesus was doing. If Jesus would not have had an encounter with the woman by the well, he would not have fulfilled the connection with Genesis. Let's go to Genesis. Let's put this all together. Let's go to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21. And let's go to verse, uh, I don't really have to do the whole thing. Um, uh, let's go, let's keep it in context. Let's, let's go to verse 8. Verse 8. When Isaac grew up and was about to be weaned, Abraham prepared a huge feast to celebrate the occasion. But Sarah saw Ishmael, the son of Abraham, and her Egyptian servant, Agar, making fun of her son, Isaac. By the way, that making fun of her son, Isaac, um, some theologians say that there was something else going on there. That there was something that, I, that, that Ishmael was doing to Isaac. And she, she witnessed it. So she turned to Abraham and demanded to get rid of that slave woman and her son. He's not going to share the inheritance with my son, Isaac. I won't have it. This upset Abraham very much because Ishmael was his son. But God told Abraham, do not be upset over the boy and your servant. Do whatever Sarah tells you. For Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. But I will also make a nation of the descendants of Agar's son because he is your son too. By the way, this is before the uh, going to the mountain and God says, take your son, your only son. Last week, my last week. So we see something here. God is acknowledging the fact that he has another son. It's not that God forgot. It's that there is something that's being spoken here. So Abraham got up early the next morning, prepared food. Uh, Abraham was just really that obedient. Prepared food and contained in a container of water and strapped them on Agar's shoulders. Then he sent her away with, her, with their son. So she wandered aimlessly in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. So hold on a second, guys. I just got to ask you something. Was it the first time that Abraham was about to give up his son with Isaac? He was giving up his son with Ishmael. So we find that the first time he was already, he already gave up his son. So giving up his son a second time is a, a, a testament to his obedience, even if it hurts. Ooh, obedience, even if it hurts. When the water was gone, she put the boy in the shade of a bush. Then she went and sat down by herself about 100 yards away. I don't want to watch the boy die, she said, as she burst into tears. But God... Heard the boy crying. No, who did he hear? He didn't hear the mother because she was already crying. 
he heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Agar from heaven. Who is the angel of the Lord? Oh, we got an appearance here. Who does Je- where does Jesus meet her? And the angel of God called to Agar from heaven. Agar, what's, what's wrong? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Go to him and comfort him, for I will make a great nation from his descendants. Then God opened Agar's eyes, and she saw a what? She saw a well full of water. She quickly filled her water container and gave the boy a drink. Jesus established this event in the Old Testament for a future event in John chapter 4 with the woman by the well who was also a descendant of Agar, Ishmael. It was the incorporation of the master plan that goes beyond the Abrahamic. Everybody see what I'm talking about? These parallels are necessary to see. You can't understand one without the other. Church, get this. Because when you do, you'll see that nothing you've ever done or nothing that you're about to do is by chance. Stop moping around thinking that God is not thinking about you when he already has a game plan from the time you were a child to now. There are events that you you did when you were a child that God saw that moment and he has another moment that's parallel to that moment. Who's hearing what I'm saying? Because he does this area of, he, he likes to enact, to then reenact. But it doesn't stop there. Let's go to Genesis chapter 24. It's this whole thing with by the water that seems to be the, the telling tale. Because something else was also connected. Let's go to Genesis 24. And why don't we just go down to 12, just because I feel like this is pretty extensive. You'll you, you catch the gist of it. Oh, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, he prayed. By the way, I got to tell you. all All right, so Abraham was trying to find a wife for Isaac. Right? He sent his servant to go find this wife. The servant was a representation of the Holy Spirit. And so there's always this reenactment that's going on for a future event. So this woman by the well story has three other stories that are connected to it. This is number two. Look at this. Uh, so the servant took, uh, that's 12. Oh, Lord, God of my master, Abraham. He prayed, please give me success today and show unfading love to my master, Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring. And the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. I am by the spring, the spring, the well. And the young women are coming out to draw water. Again, an encounter. Woman by the well. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. What did Jesus do? Can I have have a drink? You see the parallels? If she says yes, have a drink, 
and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. So hold on a second. If this woman does all of this, then that means that she's going to be the one for Isaac. Who is Isaac representing in the Old Testament? Not all at once. This was last week. Say it loud. Who said that? Jesus. You said it back there. Jesus. If Jesus is being represented by Isaac, that means the selection of the church is being done here with this woman. The one who was by the well and the one who decided to say, yes, I have some water for you. It's a connection, an exchange. It's covenantal language. Stop asking God to do something for you and you're not willing to do anything. Stop it. Because it's not covenantal language. God wants to make sure that you understand the power of covenant. Lord, I am going to give this time, this moment. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stop doing this. That's my exchange. I need, Lord, to show you that I understand your structure. It's not that you're demanding from me. It's because I understand your structure. Stop trying to be a farmer if you're not putting seeds in the ground. Lord, make me a farmer. Let me have a, a great harvest. Okay. The world is already designed to give you a harvest. If you follow the instructions. But if you don't follow the instructions, you're saying, please just give it to me, Lord. He's saying, but I designed everything to function for you if you do this. Covenantal language. Do you know that you're in covenant with the ground when you put a seed in the ground? You made a, you made a covenant with the ground. You, ground said, give me that, I'll give you this. When the church gets it. When the church gets it, we'll never be broke, we'll never be sick. When the church gets it. We still don't get it. We still, we still come and we go. We, live. We, have, we have to breathe this in and allow it to enter into our thought process where now we're not going to live the same if you're going to live the same way what are you telling God what are you saying to him yes Lord I worship you I pray but I don't believe that that part I don't believe God is a God of covenant all right so we found the second one here goes, here goes the third one let's go to the third one Genesis chapter 29 by the way, Rebecca was the one, if you, if you want to go into the story, read it on your own, Rebecca ends up being chosen because she did, she followed through, and she understood the power of covenant. Do you know what's the greatest ingredient of covenant? What do you think is the greatest ingredient of covenant? What can, what can cause your covenant to be at risk?
Procrastination, okay. Disobedience, okay. Unbelief. It's one word. It's the only word in heaven that makes heaven function. Honor. When you dishonor, you eat away at your covenantal language. That's why heaven had to get rid of dishonor fast. Once the enemy was dishonoring, he had to go. Because he was against the covenant of heaven. He could not be a part of a place where honor runs rampant. When you dishonor, you literally go against the will of the Father. And dishonor is not just based on who you think deserves it. Honor is not based, oh, you don't deserve it. How, who, how dare you? If God selects a person, how dare you to be the one to be like, no, you're wrong, Lord. That's dishonor, and it breaks covenantal language. And that breaking of covenantal language will cause other things to spiral in your life. God doesn't move in fear. He moves in structure. He's not trying to get you to be afraid of this. He wants you to be able to move in the blessings of it. Because sometimes we'll hear this and we'll go, so what are you trying to say that I'm going to be cursed? No, I'm telling you that everything's set up for success. And you're the only reason why it wouldn't be successful. Genesis 29. Let's go to verse, uh, verse, all right, might as well. I'm trying to look at a place where it makes sense. Let's go to verse 3. Verse 3. It was the custom there. This is Jacob, by the way, and he's about to find his, his love. It was the custom there to wait for all the flocks to arrive before removing the stone and watering the animals. Afterward, the stone would be placed back over the mouth of the what? Of the well. Jacob went over to the shepherds and asked, where are you from, my friends? We are from Haran, they answered. Do you know a man there named Laban, the grandson of Nahor? He asked. Yes, we do, they replied. Is he doing well? Jacob asked. Yes, he's well, they answered. Look, here, he, here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the flock now. Jacob said, look, it's still broad daylight. Too early to round up the animals. Why don't you water the sheep and goats? So they can get back out to pasture. We can't water the animals until all the flocks have arrived, they replied. Then the shepherds moved the stone from the mouth of the well, and, the, and we watered all the sheep and goats. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock. But she was a shepherd. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute. She was a shepherd. So for the first time we hear, by the way, what's a shepherd? A what? A shepherd is a pastor. So we find for the first time a woman being acknowledged in a male's industry of being a pastor. Rachel is a shepherd, so she is also a 
pastor. That was on purpose, by the way. That wasn't said just because. We find, again, how a woman is being used to set something in motion. Why do you think Mary, Mary Magdalene and all the other Marys were the ones who first found out that Jesus' tomb was empty? Because the tomb, the rock being moved, where the water needed to come out, had to be spoken by a Look what it says. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, uh, now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. Am I going right? Uh, okay. And because Rachel was his cousin, that's not the one. Let's go further back. Jacob was still talking with them when Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherd. And because, right, there you go. And because Rachel was his cousin, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and because the sheep and goats belonged to his uncle Laban, Jacob went over to the well and moved the stone from its mouth and watered his uncle's flock. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he wept aloud. That was kind of weird. I mean, I, I need you to envision that for a moment. Somebody comes running over to you, kisses you, and then, ah! He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin on her father's side, the son of her aunt, Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father, Laban. As soon as Laban heard that his nephew Jacob had, his, uh, his nephew Jacob had arrived, he ran out to meet him. He embraced and kissed him and brought him home. When Jacob had told him his story, Laban exclaimed, you really are my own flesh and blood. You really are connected. After Jacob had stayed with Laban for about a month. Now, I'm going to stop there because the point I wanted to make on that was that it was by the well. Woman by the well did not start in John 4. I just showed you three occasions where a woman was by the well. And that encounter represents what was to take place. It was the qualification of the Samaritans, which was the qualification of the church. For the church is supposed to be the unqualified and only qualified by Jesus. In other words, we are the interruption. I share with you the whole thing with the woman with the issue of blood. We are the interruption. Jesus is still out to touch who? The little girl. So we know that in these stories, it is an encounter to qualify. The water by the well, whether it was Agar, whether it was Rebecca, and whether it was Rachel, each one of them represent an encounter with Jesus. And so Jesus had to make sure that that storyline continued while he was here on earth. Let's continue. Any questions on that? As a matter of fact, you know what? I'm going to do what I said I was going to do last week. Let's do something. I'm going to have you guys. You guys are all on the table right now. Um, we had some cancellations to, uh, regarding, right? So here's what we're going to do. Those of you who have two people on the table, go to uh, another, another group that has two. If you have two, go to another group that has two. You're good. They're good. They're good. 
And I want you to discuss your takeaway. What is your takeaway thus far regarding what has been given? I'm going to give you about three minutes. Make that four. I'll give you four minutes to discuss what has been, what stood out with all that you've received so far. Get used to this during our teaching stage. We're not going to just sit and go, oh, praise God, that's, whoa, wow, glory to God. We're going to discuss this, and this is going to show me, and more than me, show God that you are absorbing and not just occupying. ¿Quieres? Combínate con ellos allá. We got two more minutes.
30 seconds. Make sure you pick somebody to actually represent the table. Time's up, time's up, time's up, time's up. I'm going to start on the far left, and I'm going to work my way all the way to the right. Far left to the right. Yeah, let's get those microphones. That's, that works. Here we go. Um, check one, two. Okay. There we go. So <laughs> um, I think the the general idea here that we kept bringing up was that there was um that we saw consistency from genesis all the way to the gospels um and how uh it was important to acknowledge that the angel of god jesus was also back in you know the jesus that we're used to same jesus was still back in in, in those times so it makes it less you know scary to go back and, and look at those scriptures and and, and be stuff. more receiving to it. Um, and, that's good stuff. And that's one of the, yep. That is, that table gets an, uh, a round of applause, right? That's good stuff. I like what you said about removing the fear of wanting to go back because it's like, oh, my God, this is so alien when you're being navigated by Jesus and his, na his, his narrative all the way in the Old Testament that's huge. Praise God. Excellent, excellent, excellent. This table over here. Um, does this work? It is. Oh. <laughs> All right. So for us, I think the greatest takeaway was this concept of the covenantal language. It's Talk to like, me. My God. <laughs> it's like um, you want something, you can't, you have to be willing and ready to give up something in exchange for that. Uh, and no matter how much it hurts, no matter how much you think you can't do without this, and no, I mean, it's, it's better this way. No, no, no. I mean, and I, for me, this was like a, a total eye-opener. Um, wow. <laughs> honoring, honoring, honoring. Um, and you honor through that covenantal language by acknowledging that, okay, I'm asking, but I have to be willing to Very give good. as well. Very good. I mean, 100%. <laughs> Very good. Covenantal language, that's something that's vital to understand how God operates with us and how we operate with one another. Don't think the exchange of money started on earth. Trading did not start on earth. There's a trade that goes on between heaven and earth. Let's give them a round of applause, too. Awesome. Awesome. Oh, uh, we kind of said the same thing as the first table. A little louder. <laughs> there you go. We've we seen a, 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 consistency, a consistency throughout what was being taught. And there was, like, really one similarity in it. It was the well. We've seen that there was a well in the... You know, the bringing up of the flow of the water. And yet, 
Amen. So your point is that there's an area of the flowing of water yeah. that becomes a consistent message all throughout the word. Yes. Very good. Awesome. You all came up with that? That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I got to look like it. Uh, no, no, no. Here. Oh. If we can raise that microphone just a tad bit more. Oh, you, oh, you have it there. That's right. I got the power. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, we, we came up with some similar to, uh, to the other tables. Um, the about honor, the co the covenantal language, and um, you know how it eats away, it eats away at your agreement, and um, this honor also comes against the will of the Father, and uh, God doesn't move, He doesn't move in fear, He moves in structure. So when we dishonor, we're uh, we're breaking we're breaking that that covenant. You know we. We have been, we are asking of the Father, and the Father is willing, but he has, he sets that structure for you, and when you're, when, like Pastor said, when honor is revealed to you, then you understand, you move, you move in it anyway, it's something you move in, and the other thing, you know, really quickly too, the other thing that, that, um, that was brought up, uh, that water, anytime there's water in there, it's talking about the church. That that the church is represented by by the the by water. A flow of water. Yes, just like the flow of water that came out of the side. All right, I want I want to address something here because you didn't. I don't know if you guys caught right. Do you know that in a service, a church service, that goes from loving God and the, even the ministers talking about loving God, and at the end it turns into this this fear factor thing. God will exit the building. When fear becomes the topic. Fear is used so that the persons in charge can feel like they have control. So their fear removes God's power and tries to transfer it into your power. It, 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 it kills the flow of the water, correct. So how do you know if you're in the right place? If you're not fearful. Because God has not given us a spirit of fear. Right? And here's the best one. Perfect love. Cast out all fear. And who is the carrier of perfect love? God. Jesus. The Holy Spirit. So if he's in the house and there's still fear, we need to worry about that. Good job. Round of applause. All right. We discussed about a couple of things. First off was also incorporating, uh, I guess, Ishmael, how he wasn't the son of promise, but God demonstrates honor to him and all the other ones by the well by showing the need and honoring them and still bringing them in as a fold. Also, the fact that they do represent us because we are not, we are like Ishmael. We're not of the promise, but we are incorporated to the promise Jesus. by honor. Jesus. This excites me. Any teacher that's teaching, hearing the responses is exciting. That right there is very key. Jesus on purpose 
went through Samaria to repeat what took place in the past. Remember, his visitation with Agar was already understood when he went to visit the woman by the well. He had already done it, so he did it again because it already had established a frequency. <laughs> and once the frequency is set up, all you got to do is tap into the frequency. Stop reinventing the wheel. You ain't got to reinvent the wheel. Just go with the frequency that Jesus already established on earth and you get the same results. Round of applause, please. Excellent. Good job, guys. Um, basically, which with everybody saying, we started off with the well um, is the Je Jesus living water. That's how we started. Then the encountered transferred into a covenant. And then uses um, the stories uses the narrative of the characters in the Bible always to point to Jesus. Mm. Consistent with the message qualifies the unqualified to bring the message. And whoa, then, whoa, 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 whoa. Say that again. Consistent message qualifies the unqualified to bring the message. And then we ended with... No, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't go right... You can't. <laughs> You can't do that. You got you got you got to eat that stuff right there. What she just said is the story of every gentile on the planet, past, present and future. The qualified are only qualified because we're not really qualified on our own. But the story of making that person qualified who was unqualified is the narrative that we live by. We get to go to heaven, folks. Why? Because we were given the blood of the Son. It was a blood transfusion on the cross. And we were given access in. It's like if, if it's like the whole cold thing. Like, like if you were to press your, your finger on something and, and it opens up, that biometrics thing. Why? Because, and we've talked about this before, biometrics, touching it and saying, yes, you can come in. And then the face that shows there's not your face, it's Jesus. Access granted. But that's not me. It doesn't have to be you. Access granted. Go ahead, continue. That was good. And then the last thing is, which, which you had said before, is everything that has action has a moment of transaction. I was hoping somebody would hit on that. That's the one I wanted somebody to hit on. Because our biggest issue as believers is our lack of emotional intelligence. Cricket, cricket, cricket. We have a problem with containing. We think it's okay to explode, and we'll deal with it later. The containing of a situation shows your walk with God. The more you're able to contain, the more you're showing that the containing is not based on you, but based on him in you. He'll keep you from blowing up. Some of you had blow-ups this week. That's why you're looking at me like that. and You're feeling bad about it. It's okay. That's why grace is in addition to. So we can get it right. 
So that moment when we did blow up, now we understand that it was not supposed to be. And the next time you feel the need to blow up, you're going to stop for a moment and go, yeah, that's right. No containing. There's no, I'm not containing. And you're going to think twice about doing it. Why? Because there is a law of exchange. Even in words, there's a law of exchange. You come off with roughness, then it may not be in that argument. Listen, you've got to catch this. It may not be in that discussion or that argument that it's released. Just like lightning and thunder. It may not be at that moment. But later on in something else, it could be at work, it could be a week later, the echo or the boomerang effect of that moment comes back at you and you go, why did this happen? Lord, why did this happen? And if you're real connected, he'll tell you when and why. Remember this? Oh, my bad. It may not be the same moment. It may be later on. Church, catch what I'm saying. It may not be at that moment in time. It may be later on. And that's when you have to say to yourself, Lord, allow me to always think of counting the cost of what I say and do. Let me count the cost of the dishes that get destroyed at the moment that I can't use tomorrow. Give him a round of applause, please. Good job. Q&A's. No, no, we got Q&A. Okay, there's Q&A. Q&A. No, 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 you cannot just speak out. This is not just for us. I like that shirt. Okay. Um, in the beginning of the teaching, uh-huh. you brought up Isaiah 43, mm-hmm. where God um, shows himself as one. Mm-hmm. Isn't it in Isaiah as well where God, and again, this is to further, um, to further confirm that the angel of the Lord is Jesus. Doesn't God have a conversation with the angel of the Lord and he refers to him as you God, oh God? Yes. Hebrews chapter. It's Hebrews. Okay. Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews chapter, I was going to talk about that, but. Sorry. You know, but it's okay. No, no, you're a pastor. You can do that. That's Okay. Hebrews chapter 1 speaks on the conversation between God the Father and God the Son. They literally are talking to each other. And God is telling the Father, oh, the Father, Son, the Son, calling him Lord. He says, you, O Lord. The Father calling the Son Lord. Look how much deference amongst the Godhead. How much they defer to each other. How much do we defer to one another? It's honor, and honor starts in heaven, and it's important for us to do the same here on earth. We, got, we have to make sure that in order to partake in the frequencies of heaven, we must do what heaven expects us to do. You can't get a radio station without tuning into that station, even though the frequencies are in the air. You got to tune in. So, praise God for that. Amen. Um, my next question was, um, when God gave um, Abraham the instructions in Genesis 21 to send Ishmael away, was that set up so that what he spoke regarding Isaac could be true here on earth because Ishmael was no longer present? 
the sending him away was a, an example of there being a, a generation that's going to be in need of being grafted in. Okay. So God has a way of defining a savior. You can't have a lifeguard who's a good lifeguard without saving lives. The lifeguard requires somebody what? Drowning in order to demonstrate how good they are. So when it comes to savior, there's a need to be saving. So that whole narrative is to show rejection to then inclusion. Did everybody get that? Removal and rejection to then prove the importance of inclusion. Why does God allow bad things to happen? It's not that he, listen, it's not that he is out there going, okay, let's make sure these bad things occur. No, it's to let it be known that light will always supersede and be greater than darkness. But you can't know the light without. You can't. No, you can't go, okay, I see the light when the sun is out outside. Like, go with a flashlight out in the sun. It's not appreciated. You're not going to appreciate a flashlight out in the sun. You can only appreciate that light in darkness. That's why we were sent to be the light where? Where? In what? In the midst of what? In the midst of darkness. Not light in the midst of light. That's why there is no gospel in heaven. But you're going to bring light to light? There's no need for light to be in light because light is already there. But light is required here in a place of darkness. Question over here. Microphone. And then one over here. Hello? Oh, I Hello? have a question. Hello. <laughs> I have a question right on the on the heels of the question I was just asked. Uh, based on last week's and a little bit of today, I just need a little bit of clarification uh, regarding... Uh, when when Jesus was sent to earth and, and he was said, you know, let the light go there and I get the whole concept. However, in uh in in Genesis, we see in Genesis one all throughout, it says at the end of the of the passages, it says of, of the scriptures, I apologize, that in the and then there was evening and then there was morning. And then right. there was afternoon. It, it keeps like repeating that. So it compli- I was talking to to Mama and I was telling her that it it made me appreciate reading the Bible. Can't hear him. Oh yeah, you got to keep the microphone closer. Okay. It, it made me appreciate uh, reading the Bible in and out of time, which has added a whole another layer of how I received. Um, so can you just clarify for me just that little part, like whenever it says, because earlier you had said that it was just an event because there was no hours, there was no time. So I'm like, okay, so that was an event. So then the evening. But it specifies. It says, like in some in some in some of the scriptures, it says, and then morning came, and then in the next scripture, it'll say, oh, and then it was evening, not darkness or night. It says, then there was evening. Uh, it, does that depend on the Bible that you're reading, or no? It's accurate. Can you help me understand? Like, was that so, on the day? So yes. Yeah, so morning and evening is also a way of saying the rising of something and the ending of something. It means a full chapter. Because there was no morning. Mm. 
nor were there any evenings until the fourth day. So that means that anything before that is a completion of a cycle, not 24 hours. No, that means he was there, just like Hebrews, we just read in Hebrews 1, or Colossians 1 as well. He was there in the very beginning. He never stopped being there. The problem is our linear thinking prevents us from going outside into a quantum thought process. We are so linear, and that's why there's conflict within religions, because everything is so, this is what it is, and we become black and white in it, and the linear process does not allow us to see the fullness of what God is trying to do and say, because the completion of the beginning in the beginning was found in John 1. In other words, no one understood what in the beginning was till John writes that down. Everyone was like, oh my God, in the beginning, thinking that the light was really a, some other light. I mean, they're reading the same things. The problem is that when they're reading it, they're only reading it in chronos. And they don't understand that God is multifaceted. That his thought processes do not just include the way we think. So sometimes, ooh, yes. Sometimes John 5 just came on me. Gotta do it, gotta do it, gotta. This will be fast and we're done. John 5. Look at this, guys. I want you to see the language of Jesus. It was almost like he started speaking earthly. Or heavenly and then earthly, and it kind of like said, oh, snap, I, I, spoke, I spoke heavenly. Let me bring it back to earth again. L look at this, John 5, follow me. And with this, we got to stop because the timer says we're supposed to stop. Father, let these words start moving and healing. Let there be healing power in each person here today. Let us experience the anointing that comes by way of the word. We've experienced anointing by way of song and worship. We've experienced the anointing by way of prayer and intercession. Lord, we want to experience that same anointing by way of your word today. In Jesus' name, please say amen. amen. Watch this. Witnesses to Jesus. That's uh, chapter, verse 31. Uh... If I were to testify, uh, no, let's go further back. Verse 24. I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Fact. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming indeed. It's here now when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his Son. And he has given him authority. Listen carefully. God has given the son authority to judge everyone because he is the son of man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son. And they will rise again. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, Father, Son, Father, Son, right? Father, Son. All authority... From my father has been given to me to judge 
and not to judge. Didn't we just read that? We just read that, right? To raise people to life. All authority. What does that mean, all authority? What does it mean, all? All authority has been given to the son. Papa, thank you. I now have all authority because you gave it to me. To do what? Say it loud. To do what? Juzgar. To judge. To judge. Watch this. No contradiction. It's just what perspective you're catching it from. Heaven or earth. Look what it says. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. I can do nothing on my own. Okay, let me read, let me read it again. Verse 27, and he has given him all authority to judge everyone. In other words, God has given the Son complete, entire authority, but then Jesus comes back to earth, and he says, I can do nothing on my own. It's not a contradiction. It's what you just finished reading earlier. It is the Kronos Kairos experience. Jesus is not lying because it's heaven and earth language. You can't be lying if both heaven acknowledges that and earth acknowledges it. Did y'all get that really? I'm, seriously? Y'all caught that for real? If all authority has been given to me, then why do I need to then say I can't do nothing on my own? If all, if all authority has been given me, then that means I can do. It's not a lie. In heaven, the Father and the Son are one. So all authority is. But on earth, he had to show submission to the Father for the sake of the narrative on earth to show that there's a difference. So God had to remain on his throne in Kairos, but in Kronos, he had to show Father, Son. And Jesus had to do it the same way. My Father, my Father, because my Father said so. But every now and again, he slip up. I'll show you another place in the Word. He just slip, he, he'll, he'll say something that has to do with him, and he'll go, yeah, I got to say it, I got to say it. I got to speak earthly with them. I got to keep them looking at me as a son to the father because they don't understand the separation, just me or the connection between me being the father. If you get that, you'll get the whole Bible. You read the whole Bible, you start understanding why, then all of a sudden now, Darius, there's no contradiction. You just jumped light years from many churches that are in this area. By just sitting down in a session, understanding how to rightly divide the word. I'm him and then you. Uh, pastor. Yeah? Huh? You and then we're done. You and then we're done. You and then we're done. Oh, yeah, that's it. So Jesus had to come down be full flesh man so that he can give us the blueprint of how to connect to the Father. Okay. I'm done. Very good. <laughs> and that is the blueprint. Amen? Uh, 
Pastor Jen.